Welcome to Series 2 of Leading Between the Lines, a podcast from Alternique Inspired Growth with me, Peter Thorpe, as your host. In the coming months, I'll be talking to the people development heads from some of the world's newest, fastest growing companies and finding out how they go about recruiting, developing and retaining top talent for their business. One thing's for sure, it's very different to even a year ago. Fairwill was founded in 2015, launched its first product, their will writing service in 2016, and has since grown to be the largest will writer in the UK. They're now approaching 150 staff and looking to double that in the next year. They're based in London, are going from strength to strength. They quote themselves as a creative, focused team who love what they do. So let's get into it. A warm welcome to People Development and Engagement Lead, Carl Marty. Welcome, Carl. Thanks very much for having me, Peter. Absolute pleasure. So um, give us a bit of context about Farewell. How, how did it come about? Why has it come about? What do you do? And how about your role? For sure. So, I mean, I mean, the short on one on Farewell is that it only started as a, as a way of kind of digitizing the rather archaic will writing industry all those years ago when, when Dan and Tom kind of conceived the idea of of making a much more kind of streamlined and, and easy user-friendly approach to something was was traditionally done sat opposite side of a desk on a high street. I mean the the, the business blew up. Um I mean it's gone from strength to strength as you've as you've kind of acknowledged uh, and even more so in the kind of the past year, 18 months with the pandemic and otherwise. And when more and more people are probably kind of a bit more kind of aware of their mortality and otherwise. That said, like Farewell's broader mission is actually to kind of change the way the world deals with death. And, and for us, that means expanding well beyond the world of, of will writing and thinking about, well, there's lots of other, the, the, the death industry, as we kind of maybe acknowledge it, um, is uh, is kind of riddled with with lots of kind of archaic um products and services and attitudes and mindsets, whether that's in the world of kind of uh, probate or funerals and beyond. And so Farewell's actually kind of been continuing since its will writing service, been expanding into these other kind of uh, products and services. So we have um, uh, our kind of like probate arm. And more recently, we've been making big strides into the world of funerals, um, but doing both kind of direct cremation and even more recently exploring the world of burial too. I think the big thing about Farewell that galvanizes the team, as it were, is, is our mission. Yeah, I think so many of us can see and have probably firsthand experiences of the fact that the death can be really, really hard. Um, and when you're at your absolute lowest ebb and you've lost someone close to you, the administration and the um, the hurdles you have to jump through, and in many respects, a lot of the costs that you kind of are confronted with um, aren't a... Um, aren't something that you, that you want to have to deal with at that time. And so we care a lot about trying to be the definitive support mechanism for people as they're going through those, those periods in their life. We also acknowledge and recognize that the world of funerals, as it has been, is very different to the future. And, and actually changing attitudes towards what people want their funeral to look like is um is also kind of a big kind of culture shift. And so we actually want to create a platform that allows people to arrange funerals that are more suited to, to how they want to celebrate their life or celebrate the life of others and not feel the need to conform to your very traditional kind of burials or your traditional uh, service or otherwise. 
I spent a chunk of my working life in financial services. And at, at that time, which is a few years ago now, we were the most underinsured country in Europe. And it was a real big deal to try and help the British people understand what death was all about. So I'm guessing you've got a huge market, but also there are major challenges to try and ease people into realising that planning for death is not a taboo subject, but actually a really, really important thing to be doing. Totally. No one necessarily likes to think about death uh, or kind of confront the idea of death, but it is something that is inevitable for all of us. Um, and so one thing that's really important to us is to is to shift that narrative around what it means to talk about death, which right now there, are, there aren't many other kind of brands in market, never mind kind of uh, institutions or otherwise that are contributing to kind of change that narrative. And so we believe by building a brand that makes death feel less taboo, um, even more um, uh, kind of familiar and commonplace in everyday kind of conversation and dialect, actually we believe can play a huge role in not just for us as a business capitalizing on uh, what is a massive market opportunity, but actually it is more importantly a genuine and meaningful way for us to contribute to changing the world, the way the world deals with death. Um, and so we are, for a company that we, we call ourselves and recognize we're in the death industry, actually as a business, we couldn't be any less less like what you might associate with your traditional funeral directors or, or will writing service on the high street. Uh, we're a very young company, we're a very progressive company um, within the same realms of, of what you might call kind of high growth tech businesses that we're all uh, well familiar with, um, which obviously comes with its own respective challenges. Uh, but it's so nice and, and reassuring to see so much kind of new energy and vigor going into uh, a relatively archaic and untouched industry. A lot of the companies we're talking to in this series are tech businesses because obviously in the last couple of years that has lent itself to, to big and successful growth but you're, you're dealing with very much an emotional product and, and a lot of the tech companies they're just transactional things whether it's financial or otherwise how do you overcome the emotional needs of people who buy your product when essentially you're selling them a product online yeah I mean well I mean that's a big question I suppose one of the one of the, the the absolute foundations of of farewell is is our people, and which in any other business and and for for anyone else that that probably just sounds like your, your usual spiel that you see on the you see on the career careers page of your website, but it's actually fundamental and instrumental to being able to deliver what we do, and that is when uh, you as you can imagine the way in which. Um, different people might respond to grieving or bereavement or the death of a loved one or otherwise it means that we are constantly have to be on our game and responsive to and adaptive to ultimately whatever customer might arise at any one time. Um, we one thing that we is becoming clearer to us as a business is that we can never be doing enough to not only um, design our products and services in a way that. Um, that provides our uh, our customers with with simplicity and clarity to allow them to navigate these things with as with as, as as little friction as possible. But it's also really important that as and when they do engage with a a, a person at farewell, that they are they are treated as they are, which is more often than not they are in a position where they are grieving and bereaved, 
and they need to be treated with with respect and humanity, regardless of how they are treating um, our team. Because you can imagine some people are angry. Um, they are um, they can be frustrated. They can be crying on the phone and all sorts. And so it's really important that we uh, first and foremost hire and find and hire the people who are able to kind of ultimately deal with those people with genuine empathy but at the same time as a business provide those people with the right kind of safeguardings and 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 structures that ultimately allow them to to continue to do their job sustainably so you're looking for people with good tech skills and good people skills which there aren't too many companies that kind of need both are there yeah, I mean, I suppose like what's unique about our business is on one hand, we obviously have a significant kind of technology component to our business, like the, the primary interface in many respects of our of our products and services is online. Um, but we do have like quite a significant um, kind of in-person team. They're the people who are actually managing uh, funeral cases. They are the people who are uh, sense checking and and reviewing wills they are so that there is there is already this this human component that kind of exists um and actually we wouldn't necessarily uh for, for for the folks who operate in our kind of sales and ops teams or otherwise being technically literate isn't necessarily a necessity we we design and build products and services for those people alone to allow them to better manage um their caseloads and whatnot however uh in the nature of our um, kind of like technology and product teams themselves, yes, we place a massive emphasis on people who um, can show that they really understand like the human condition and the human experience, regardless of whether they're a designer who probably might be at the more front front facing and aesthetic part of, of designing that experience all the way to kind of a, an infrastructure engineer who needs to have that same sensibility because they're still designing and contributing towards the same experience. So your job is primarily developing the people. Um, you get them in. How do you start developing them? Right, right, right. Yeah, so so some context on my role. My, my role is um, looking after both people development and people engagement. So uh, broadly speaking, that's doing L&D and culture stuff. Um, now, the, the reason we've kind of married the two together um, is, is reasonably deliberate. And that is that we're, we're passionate about cultivating like a meaningful growth culture at Fairwill. And so uh, we want, even though like uh, ultimately our culture is more than growth um, and it is representative in, in, in so many ways, uh, what's really important for us is as we're thinking about intentionally designing culture, we're constantly looking for ways to ensure that people are growing through that. So it, it's uh, more or less the sense that like L&D, and people development of farewell is not something that's kind of bolted on the side and is seen as like a benefit or a perk. Um, it's the fundamental fabric of, of how we design um, the, the way we work. And so a huge part of my role is not just, yes, of course, doing all the traditional expectations of what might be a, a people development or an L&D person um, and trying to build out platforms for learning and delivering learning experiences um i'm also operating in a capacity where i'm thinking about um our organizational culture as it relates to things like well-being or diversity equity and inclusion or other things and so how do we uh, cultivate a culture with that with those lenses at the same time as thinking about how to make sure that people are growing through those experiences too why are people going to stay with you as an organization um good question 
I think that, well, fun enough, we, 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 do, we do our kind of biannual engagement surveys. And, uh, and, and as you can imagine, the past kind of 18 months of, of those surveys and seeing how it's ebbed and flowed and changed through the pandemic has been, has been pretty remarkable. Um, very obvious kind of declines in many of the factors you might as- associate with like your kind of work-life balance and all the same challenges that every business is, is continuing to face. But um, the ones that stand true, the things that, that run through for us uh, are, are on a few, a few, a few angles. The, the first is that is the confidence and belief in the mission. People come here because it's very rare in the world of tech that you actually find a really amazing company culture where there's loads of opportunities and you're doing good work and all that sort of jazz. But like for for an actual mission that's really worthwhile, if it, it feels like especially as someone who's worked with a lot of startups and scale-ups in defining their organizational culture. It feels like when we talk about defining a purpose or a mission or otherwise, I mean, there's a lot of clutching at straws. There's a lot of like trying to turn what might be a very kind of obtuse technology product and trying to find a way to make it resonate with people. Um, Whereas like, I feel like it's obvious the reasons why the farewell mission would would resonate with people. Um, I think this, this, the second one is definitely around kind of L&D and development. Um, the, that's one of the things that we score the highest on. And that's because there's never been a place like Fairwell where you can kind of cultivate and carve your own path, really. Um, we have a really kind of strong uh, attitude and approach to kind of internal moves and internal progression. Uh, for example, we have um, the, 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 the roles that we have for kind of a lot of our ops and sales team, for example, they might be people in their first jobs or their second jobs, probably in many respects, some people still trying to work out what they want to, how they want to build a career or what they might want to do with their life in the long run. And actually, we've had many instances, actually one within my team itself, in which we've had somebody worked in, um, like the Wills Ops team, for example, uh, who has shown like incredible passion and um, an enthusiasm for the world of kind of people, in particular around cultivating culture. And actually, when we've decided to hire into my team, we've made the conscious decision that we'd, we'd, we'd exclusively hire that person from internally, because it was an entry-level role. Um, but normally we want, we want people to find a way to, to develop new skills um, when we can, because we know that the, the, the amount we're investing in people internally, it seems silly to, to dedicate like what can be normally be a ton of effort to recruiting externally too, when we know we've got people with enthusiasm and energy in the building. Um, so I think that a lot of people see Farewell as a really great place for, for them to, to uh, get access to more opportunities and otherwise. And it's actually something that we're going to be spending a lot of energy and effort on in the second half of 2021. You talk about investment, which is always a key to me, because often in relatively new, fast-growing companies, the investment isn't there. Uh, to me, that's a real mistake. If you don't invest in your people, it's never going to work. It sounds like the ownership and the senior leadership team are committed to spending money on people. Oh, ma- massively. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that's the thing that ultimately kind of drew me to Farewell. So it's probably worth mentioning, actually. So but before I worked for Farewell, I worked for a, a venture capital fund where I kind of looked after what was like organizational culture and, and L&D for their kind of like portfolio companies. And uh, when I when I joined Fairwill, um, my actual, my role was actually like a lot more focused. I actually joined effectively as an in-house coach, and my sole role was on cultivating 
um, our managers through coaching and through training them as coaches and giving them a delivering management training too. There was always an acknowledgement that that necessarily wasn't going to scale with the business. I mean, we, I outgrew that role uh, a lot quicker than we probably anticipated. Um, but the reality is, it was is like for a business to have decided or committed to a vision of like right, actually like our one of our one of our first formative roles in a people team when at the time there was probably only two people. Um, one of the first formative roles is going to be an L&D person. It's not even just a traditional L&D person. This is an in-house coach. Um, and so um, for me, like there was a, uh, a genuine recognition and understanding of the value in coaching um, and the opportunity in, in, in bringing a coach in-house. But that wasn't something that was, was kind of just like plucked out of thin air. This is actually because almost the entire exec team all work with coaches um, and that's something that the business pays for them to do. Um, and so they've seen the value in it. They recognize and understand the importance of it. Uh, and especially as far as like helping us um, scale a learning culture at Fairwell, there is nothing more pertinent and powerful we could be doing than to um, than to equip every single manager and arguably in the long run, every single person in the business with, with coaching skills um, uh, in order to, to help us cultivate and grow a learning organisation. So you're a coach yourself, Carl, and clearly a very enthusiastic coach, and that's where you started at Farewell. And now you're moving into a much, much more strategic role, which is going to get more that way as you double your numbers in the next 12 months. How easy is it going to be for you to step away from the doing part of it and recruit internal people to do that and also perhaps find some externals to help you where you need it are you going to be able to cope with that uh good question so i can i can i can even give you some immediate reflections on where i'm at and and that is that um i've, I've definitely struggled with with the step change already um, i mean i've been in this new role kind of almost six months now um and, and and i suppose there is a few reflections so i mean first and foremost i've i've personally changed from a role which was highly predictable and, and arguably repetitive in the sense of like I was mainly coaching and, and training, delivering delivering management training. And so I could plan out my weeks reasonably effectively. I kind of knew what was coming and when. Um, and, and for me, that's good. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a creature of kind of habit and routine. But what's more, I was also um, getting... Uh, almost instantaneous kind of feedback loops, right? Where I'm, I'm speaking, I'm doing a one-on-one -on -one coaching or a group coaching session with people. I see them unblock their problem. Afterwards, they're like, thank you so much for all your help and on your way. And so I'd get the little dopamine boost of, of, um, of knowing that I've helped unblock someone, move someone forward and otherwise. Um, uh, and finally, in my former capacity, um, Arguably, I was all—I was almost entirely autonomous. Like we had absolute clarity on what my goal was. Goal was, and, and my my overarching goal was to make our managers world class through coaching. Um, and and therefore, I'd kind of be obviously reporting back to the exec team and and, and otherwise. Um, and they'd obviously have inputs and contributions and thoughts, but it was kind of like very much a yeah, you seem to be doing a good job, and we're seeing the improvements where we need to be seeing them, and, and keep cracking on. So the step change into this role isn't entirely unfamiliar because actually before my before my life and, and existence in the world of uh, of people development and culture, um, I spent the first decade of my career working in much more like customer user centered roles, as it were. So like I started out as a designer, 
moved into kind of digital strategy, um, um, moved into brand marketing, did a bit of product management, kind of danced around all those sorts of roles. And so I spent a hell of a lot of time, um, and arguably that's one of my core strengths is kind of that operating in a strategic capacity, thinking about strategy, and more importantly, thinking about how you communicate strategy, um, which is is more often than not like 90% of the battle. However, the shift into this new capacity has been an interesting one. So first and foremost, it is uh, much more reactive. So I've gone from a world which is inherently very predictable um, to a world is actually much more responsive to the immediate and pertinent uh, problems of teams and people in the organization. And so trying to, that that creature of habit and routine is, is somewhat gone out the window. And now I'm having to kind of respond and react to um, much more kind of pressing and timely things as and when they might arise on the, on the second one that feedback loop has probably somewhat gone too so even though i'm i'm obviously a, and of course soliciting constructive feedback to help me improve on it the the nature of the work that i'm i'm delivering is over much much longer time horizons that arguably people probably won't see so much of and therefore the the dopamine hits of of knowing you've created a bit of value and people have seen that value kind of ceases to exist now both of those things are kind of um, things I, I'll, I'll can personally work on. It's more of been, it, it's felt like a dramatic change. Um, as far as returning to the world of of um, much more kind of like strategic thinking too, actually, like I really enjoy it. But one thing it now does is it now puts me in a probably a bit of a less of an autonomous world in which there's far more dependency on the exec and the leadership team who have kind of bigger says over kind of like some of the direction of the work that we're doing because it does a lot of the work we're doing does radically influence the nature of our culture at Fairwill. So for example, at the moment we're, um, we're at, my, my team is working on a project to improve the effectiveness of working time at Fairwill. Um, what that broadly means is we are, we recognize that we've tried to um, continue many of our old in-person synchronous working office-based habits around communication and collaboration, for example, and we've tried to continue them into what has only been a very remote world and continuing into what for our ambition will be a hybrid world. A lot of these things just aren't standing, standing up for us. So we're finding that people are absolutely chock-a-block with meetings all week. They're spending a ton of time on Zoom. Slackers, in many respects, descended into a bit of chaos. Um, uh, and so actually, we need to kind of take a step back and go, right, how do we, first and foremost, create more space for people actually to do the work that they need to do. Um, but at the same time, how do we start to form a point of view on how do we want people to, what is the role of meetings at Fairwill? How do we want people to be using Slack? Um, and so providing people with much more intentional kind of guidance and frameworks for being a good contributor when it comes to kind of our tooling or how we communicate and collaborate. Now, me making some of those decisions might lean into a world where we might fundamentally choose to to um, to step away from one tool that we're using to another. Now, I can obviously make recommendations there, but there's it arguably lends itself into all the different functional teams and the functional heads 
So it's no longer a decision I can just kind of make and move on with. It, it just has broader and bigger implications. And so one, one thing one thing I, I do really value is the fact that like farewell and one of our kind of like behaviors, as we call them, um, is biased to action. Um, it's probably a, a commonplace one in plenty of startups. I, I know I've seen it in plenty of places before, but we do really value the idea of um, if we get to a point where we're going through analysis paralysis, let's just kind of commit to something can do it and, and move forward. Um and so the, the mindset and the attitude is there, um, but it, it, it's still very different from, from my role as it, as it was previously. So how many have you got in your exec team and how many are there in the senior leadership team? Are those two different groups? Um, so they're, they're kind of a Venn diagram of sorts. Um, so or, or it's a small circle in a bigger circle, let's say. Um, so the exec team is five people, if I remember correctly. So yeah, there's five people on the exec team and then the broader leadership team is 16, but five of that leadership team are the exec team. Right, okay. So whether it's the five or the 16, how much time do those groups spend working on working together? Actually quite a lot. <laughs> um, so funny enough, it was, uh, exec team and the leadership team have several kind of weekly and bi-weekly rituals um, that they're, as far as like where they're kind of doing the work together. Um, but actually in and around that, there's a few things that they do probably more regularly than most kind of teams otherwise that I've seen at that level. One is just the nature of their offsites um, in which that I think happen almost on like a monthly basis. And that's where they're trying to find a come together. They talk about the bigger problems around farewell, but it's also where they reflect on and improve on the nature of how they're working and what the, the nature of the rituals and, and otherwise. But also it's a chance for them to continue to get to know each other, especially as like that team has grown significantly throughout the pandemic. And in many instances, some people might not have even met in person. Um, but actually one thing that I introduced with them uh, when I first joined Farewell was, was something called LIT, uh, which was leadership introspection time. And basically this was uh, every six weeks is effectively a large group coaching um, session that I run with, with all 16 of them. And uh, so it can take various forms. Sometimes it can be, we come in with like a provocation or a question that's maybe pitched or posed by myself or someone else in the team, or we use it as an opportunity to have probably like a hard conversation that might need to be had and I kind of facilitate and allow people to, to, to air their thoughts and feelings and hopefully navigate towards some sort of action. So there is a, 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 a genuine appetite for, for working on themselves and working on how they work as a team. I think that the, one of the challenges that like, I think most, most leadership and exec teams kind of face is, is working out the, the frequency of those rituals um, and the, the, the total amount of time that is invested on a more regular basis. One of the things that we find that we do the most as an organisation is get involved with top teams and exec teams. And however functional they think they are, when we get in there, because it then becomes a non-status group, because we don't really even know the CEO is, etc. When we look at teams and how they work together, there are so many blind spots that however many times they meet, you can never really have too much looking and that introspection word I think is really important and you'd know this as a coach because this is what you do it just happens that you happen to be part of them now rather than looking in from the outside right uh, but that next step forward and getting to the next level sometimes it's so obvious yet it's not obvious to the people who are doing it right yeah I, th I think I think like with all these things and 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 our leadership and, and exec teams are are uh, and a, a genuinely really meaningfully self-aware bunch. And I think that 
that's kind of why we dedicate meaningful effort to them reflecting on themselves and, and adopting kind of reflective practices because more often than not with with the volume of of work that they have to be thinking about well not just the volume actually the variety of things they have to be thinking about they're constantly context switching uh more often than not those little moments of uh where maybe you um maybe you let your uh anger or frustration get the better of you and how you responded to someone or maybe you overlooked someone's cry for help or or desire to to get support um i think by um encouraging greater introspection and reflection on how they're showing up to work every day means that actually they're more likely to catch in that moment to go, ow, actually, hang on a minute. I realize I snapped at that person earlier. And so in which case I'll try and look back, acknowledge where I went wrong and kind of move forward. Um, but I think the, the meaningful introspection reflection genuinely feels like sometimes it's in direct conflict with the nature of kind of high growth tech businesses. Um, whereas, uh, committing to that that reflection and introspection time um whether that's kind of as part of groups or or alone almost always gets deprioritized for putting out a fire or or something else and so that's just the, the battle and, and i don't think that's exclusive to um to, to to leadership teams either i mean i know i personally face it if i have something comes of left the field and i'm needed to kind of help with a kind of a more people-centric situation or whatnot but that, that that'll always be the challenge but i think for me i i feel like my job would start to be well done um when we can start to see people actually prioritize that time and continue to prioritize that time right so for the last part of this podcast let, let's talk about you you're clearly very self-aware and emotionally intelligent What's your academic background? Oh, blimey, right. <laughs> a, bit, a, bit, a bit of a world away, really. So um, so I, I studied at Bournemouth University, um, where I, the course I was on was called Interactive Media Production. And she's probably starting to show my age a bit. Um, but that was between 2005 and 2008. Uh, and so for anyone, anyone who probably is familiar, it was basically a course that would teach you how to use the old, what was Macromedia package. So flash dreamweaver um i've forgotten the rest of them now director um and so this was about using all of these tools to design websites animations all sorts of stuff and i, and I actually and I actually um i went on that course because i was introduced to flash by my dad at a really young age who was an entrepreneur and was working on this this um this this piece of software that that was using flash um and, and I was, I've been, I was obsessed with becoming a, a Disney animator from a really young age. That was like the dream. I think I watched like Aladdin once and I saw Genie and I was like, how do I make, like, it was just genius. And so anyway, that kind of path took me onto that course. But one thing I realized for the nature of that course was that, I mean, I, I, I don't think I was the best designer or developer in the world. Let's put it like that. And so, but actually one thing that became clear is even though like the, the execution of my products per se maybe not have been the best on of my group the the rigor and the thinking behind it as in an understanding for for the human experience and how people were going to be using the thing that i was building was almost like weighing above a lot of my my respective peers but like at that kind of at that point like i wasn't necessarily um the nature of like how I could go on and apply these skills wasn't super clear to me so that's when I went on the old digital agency kind of route and ringer um uh, but then it was when I was actually working for an agency uh, called Us Two, 
Um, and that was out in New York in 2005, in, sorry, in 2014. It was the first time I was actually introduced to coaching in its, in its, in its proper form. Um, and so us two actually had in-house coaches. They worked with um, uh, some amazing kind of external coaching companies and leadership development companies. Um, and, and it just like captured me. I was like, at the time, didn't have an interest in becoming a coach. But for me, what was, was exciting was the, the skills and the tools that it was trying to encourage you to, to, to embrace. And for me, that was the idea of asking powerful questions that can help someone kind of move themselves forward. But the second was just like listening. Like I'd never thought about the idea of these multiple dimensions of listening before. And, and especially as someone, if you haven't gathered, likes to, have a, likes to talk. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to try and balance out my ability to be a good listener, to make it all the more powerful, hopefully, when I, when I do have something to say. So in, in, I think it was early 2015, that's when I started out on my coaching training with, um, with Coactive, um, based out in New York. Anyway, I couldn't really afford to continue it then. But effectively, since then, I've continued to invest in my coaching training and credentialing um, with, um, uh, I became an NLP practitioner in 20, 2019. Um, and then just recently um, completed my, my ACC credentialing with, with, um, uh, with, uh, with the ICF with a company called, with a coaching company called Full Circle. Um, and so uh, for me, like when, when I, when I reflect on, I suppose, like my, my training and education, as it were, for me, it's like, I always lean back into and, and, and the foundation is my intuition in and around people, which I've cultivated through lots of people centered roles. But for me, like the, the sensibilities and skills that I've acquired as a coach is actually what's allowed me to turn my hand to, to so many kind of different, um, different kind of roles. So from an aspirational point of view, what legacy would you like to leave the world? I, I mean, that's, that's kind of a values-based question, really. So I know it's a long, long time, hopefully, that you've got left on this planet. But, you know, what do you really want to give the world? Bloody hell, we're getting, we're getting existential here. Oh, we um, get deep in these episodes, yeah, yeah. Carl. <laughs> Do you know what? I love it, though. So it's all right. And th- this is definitely something I suppose I've, 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 I've thought about. Um, and it's, I suppose, like the traditional answer is always, like, oh, do you know what I mean? Like having a good impact and all these sorts of things, right? But I think for me, when I, when I think more about what that, what that means more deliberately, I feel like I've always been obsessed with um, and, and had a had an inclination towards the nature of story and narrative. I mean, it's kind of like what, what helped me stand, stand my ground as a brand marketer and otherwise, where it's like telling amazing stories that move people, right? But like, not just move them for the sake of moving them, making them feel something that ultimately leads them on a new course or encourages them to take action. And actually, so much of how, what I've previously thought of that has always been about like my own story. So for example, I've, for the first time, I think in it, I think it was 2013, long before, uh, long before kind of mental health was kind of part of more mainstream dialogue. I wrote a effectively a short story about um, my experience of anxiety as I was just post diagnosis, in which I, I live with anxiety, basically health anxiety. So I, I convinced myself that I have something gravely wrong with me all the time. And I've spent the past 18 months, as it were, in therapy trying to kind of unpack it and work through it. And I'm a lot better with managing it now back in 2013 um, when I absolutely was convinced that I had lymphoma. Um, I, um, 
I it was this first realization that like actually this is my mind at play here after going through tests and otherwise that told me I didn't have lymphoma. <laughs> um and so uh I wrote this this short story and it kind of went viral and it that this outpouring of support and people saying, Oh, this is like me too. And otherwise it was like a real moment for me where I was like, actually hanging a bit. Like all I've do, all I've done here is written something that's, that's moved others. And now as a, as an inherent kind of extrovert and someone who like, let's be honest, like loves the attention and otherwise um, I've always seen it as, and, and to be honest, like I've always, the way I've been in business has always been as someone who naturally likes to like come to the front and kind of inspire change and motivate people. But one thing I'm in, 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 in recent kind of years that I'm more leaning for, towards now is that I want, I want to, I want to help other people become that person. Um, I'll be honest, like I'm tired, <laughs> like the, being that person all the time um, can be really draining. Um, but what's more is that I genuinely believe that you don't have to be like the kind of, your traditional vision of what is like someone who wants to inspire and motivate, right. Who's like probably the loudest in the room or um, has the most to say or speaks very persuasively or charmingly or any other, that sort of stuff. Right. I, I, I genuinely believe it's not about how you deliver it, but it's about like the content of, 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 of your spirit. Um, and so uh, the thing that I really care about the most now is hopefully being able to, cultivate people whether through my my work in 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 for, for an employer or whether that's through my longer term aspiration to be doing that through as a coach is to unlock that in people is to help them find whatever that that content of their spirit is and, find, and give them the confidence in which to kind of showcase that and share that with the world because i feel like we we all get drawn into a world where we're like wow we want to i mean it's it's even more commonplace nowadays where it's like we want to like world peace we want to like battle climate change and we can we can um we can try and take it upon ourselves to believe that we're the person to do that um i actually believe in the idea of through the power of coaching and through the power of enabling people um the compounding effect of that work is actually what will influence and realize so much of that change that we want to see in the world and so um uh, creating and unlocking those those future leaders and those people who are actually going to influence and inspire change. That's what I want to do. I don't necessarily want to be the person who goes down in the history books. I want to be the person who's who's helped the the people who change history to 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 realize their their full power. I suppose. I normally end these episodes with my guest, but I'm going to break that tradition and I'm going to end it with a comment from me this time. And I'm just going to say to you, Carl, having listened to that, write some more stories. Because having listened to the reasons that you're writing them and the impact that they'll have, write some more. And on that point, I'm going to say, Carl Martin, what an absolute... Well, actually, it's been a privilege. Oh, thank you, mate. Listening to you, especially the last 10 or 12 minutes about you. And I think we might have to do another episode on you <laughs> because you have got so much to offer the world. Oh, thank you, mate. I appreciate it. And all of us here at AIG will wish you every success. Thank you so much for your contribution. Cheers. Thanks, Peter. If you've enjoyed today's episode and are interested in seeing and listening to more of our content, please do follow us on our LinkedIn profile, where you'll find more industry-related material and articles. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode and look forward to you joining us then.